This is Scott Richmond, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from ADL's headquarters in New York. If there were ever a front line, it is Israel in the wake of the barbaric atrocities committed by the Hamas terrorist group on October 7th. Zaka is a group that is confronted with this reality 24-7 and in the most heartbreaking way. Rather than me describing the extraordinary work of this organization, I will let my guest, Yossi Landau, do this. He is a volunteer for Zaka, has been for more than 30 years, and now serves as the head of operations for the Southern Command of Zaka. Welcome, Yossi, too, from the front lines. Good morning and welcome. So Zaka is an acronym. What do the letters stand for? There's two definitions for the letters of Zaka. One that's the originally, it's Zihui Karbanot Asan, identifying every unnatural death. And that's basically our job. And it has another definition that we can see it now, especially Zekiruv Achim, bringing all our brothers together, united. That's what we need, and that's what we're asking for. Zaka's role is to respect the remains and respect the families. We do it with every unnatural death. We're going to be there in Israel and in most parts of the world where there is Jews involved, okay, our brothers and sisters involved, and even not Jews, we go all over because we recognized uh, the United Nations. So we went for natural disasters all over the world. Just six months ago, we came back from Turkey. I was there and there was an earthquake and our group, we saved 19 Muslims. And now they're against us. We'll be here to respect every God-created person and Zaka is also doing search and rescue. They have all units like canine units, divers units, and we have everything that it's involved to respect the person, to respect the human being. And when you say that you saved 19, you mean you found 19 bodies or you, you saved 19 people? We saved 19 people. They're alive. Those 19 people are alive because of us, because we went into the rubbles and we took them out alive. If they would stay over there five more minutes or 10 more minutes, they wouldn't be alive. 19 Muslims. That, that's correct. And you do this because of Jewish law? The Jewish law says that everything has to be buried, and especially the blood. As it says, ki adam huanefesh, the blood is the soil. We know that a person can live without a hand, he can live without a feet, but he, can, he can't live without blood. And you never know which drop of blood that basically killed a person. So uh, we have to collect all drop, every drop of blood and every piece of flesh or something like that and bury it together. Also, we have to make sure that this is the respect every family member wants to know that the beloved ones were buried more or less as they were living. So this is what we do. 
and I do this for 33 years. In Israel, we have about 1,500 volunteers. We have more volunteers in the world, Mexico, Johannesburg, U.S., London. We have all over trained volunteers, and we make sure that every Jew and every place in the world, if something happens to him, God forbid, we will make sure that he's going to come to Kevri Israel, he's going to be buried, and he's going to get the full respect. Or Since October 7th, you came face-to-face -face with really the most difficult but urgent of tasks, you know, making sure that the, the bodies of the victims of October 7th are identified so that the families have closure. Tell us uh, about this most difficult of tasks. Simhatora, October 7th, that was, was supposed to be a happy day, a day that to join with the families, everybody. And 6.30 in the morning, I live in Ashdod, that we use the missiles. Every couple of months, we get some missiles. And I had my family with me in my house, and married children, grandchildren. And when the alarm 6.30 went off, they all ran to the shelter. So the first thing, I get dressed, I go down, take my equipment and listen and try to verify if there was any place that a missile hit and to go out to help. Then I'm starting to get from in the radio all kind of uh, reports that this missile attack is basic in a cover-up for the big invasion of the Hamas terrorist that they did in, in Israel, from the, from the south. And then we're starting to get more and more reports. I'm waiting for an okay to leave my house and to go. 10 o'clock in the morning, I received from the police commander. He called me up. I was not shul. And he told me, Yossi, you're coming now. Get into your car. You're coming out to the road. Bring with you a load of body bags and equipment. That's all what he told me. I called up two more volunteers. I met my son while running home from shul. And I told him, just tell him the house that I will not be back. I don't know when I'm going to be back. But you continue with your holiday schedule as normal. We went out, going to Zderot. We had to pass uh, in the south. It's called Yad Mordechai, Zikim. What we saw over there, we still didn't know what's the next level. But for us, seeing I have to maneuver my car uh, between bodies and soldiers uh, fighting, shooting. And there was still a lot of terrorists on the road, very dangerous. The army closed the road completely, but when they saw me, they told me, you can go. I arrived to Zderot. That was our first stop. When we arrived to Zderot, so the first thing that we had to do is trying to save lives. That's our first mission. We are all EMTs, so we have to save lives. We're going around, and you see every place, every corner, you see cars, people, dead people, people on the road, on the street, children, uh, adults. You go one place only, you see 12 people on one spot. They're all dead. But you're looking for any sign of life, 
And finally, thank God, we saw a couple of them that were still alive. We gave them first aid, stopping bleeding, put them in my car, took them to a hospital field that was open up in the entrance of Sderot, like this going back and forth. I would say I took about 15 people. I'm not sure how much still alive. Six for sure are, are alive because I spoke to them only last week. So I know they're alive. The next thing that we're going is to fight. We said, forget about the bodies. There's still so much terrorists around in the city. Let's, let's go start a fight. We all have guns and uh, M16s and, and pistols. And we just started to go together with the, with the army, together with the special police force, and to try to determinate them. We saw, we hit them, and finally that was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when we were sure that there is no more terrorists in the city. We weren't sure, but we didn't see them. And their only place there were terrorists was in the police department where they held hostage 10 police officers. And unfortunately, they were all killed in the end. There was 25 terrorists over there. But that was something that has been dealt with the special police force, the Imam. Then we started to collect bodies. Okay, we used to to bodies that were shot or something like that. But this, the quantity that we had over here, this was a shock. The most we dealt in our career, except of one, the Miron, uh, the 45 people killed in Miron uh, two years ago, almost two years ago, that was the only big casualty that we went, that we, we handled. And I say, okay, now we have to store it someplace. We can't leave it like that on the street. I spotted a truck just parked, civilian truck. I broke that uh, lock on the doors of the truck. I said, this is going to be our storage for now. And we start to evacuate the bodies to put into that truck. In an hour or so, we're counting 67, 68 bodies. Okay, so that's... Basically, that's it, you know. We don't have anything else. We didn't think, we didn't dream even that we're going to have more work. Then we go out to the road that leaves you from the road and that takes you to uh, where the festival was. And we go out to that road, we see tens, hundreds of cars parked in the middle of the road. Almost every car has a person, sometimes two, Sometimes three, they were all shot and they were all dead. And a period of road that should take us 12 minutes to cross, it took for our team seven hours. We going, our team followed by a truck and just picking up those bodies, give them the respect, put them in a body bag and put it into the truck and get it to the morgue. We saw cars that were burned completely. There is still unidentified missing people from that festival that were burned that we can't find and we know they were in the car yesterday it's the first time in history that cars will be buried as a body because we can't find the body and we know they were there not only did they burn the cars or they missed with rpg or hand grenades they also spilled gasoline 
to make sure that nothing is left over from that body. And when that when that burns 400 degrees or something like that, then it's impossible to find anything. There is bodies that cannot be identified at all. Nothing is left over. So we arrived to the festival. Wherever you went, there was bodies, 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 bodies. And he said, God, how can we manage this? We called for sure the entire team hours. They came from all over Israel. And then they had some words that by 4.30 when sunrise, there's going to be another invasion. So they told us, we can't work. We asked them, we begged them. That was 12.30 at night. They gave us up to 4.30. We have to be finished and out because then it's sunrise. We started to work at 1 o'clock. We finished by 4.20 with 207 bodies that were packed up and loaded into the trucks. We couldn't believe what we did. We worked like a machine because this is an impossible mission. We had 21 people that were burned. They were together in a shelter room when they received three grenades, hand grenades, and they were all burned. That only took us a team of 40 people for two and a half hours, only to separate them and only to give them the respect. That's what it took us. And my angels, my volunteers, what they did, there's no one in the world, I would say, that can do what they did. When we went into the kibbutzim, when we were called in Sunday morning to the kibbutzim, kibbutz Be'eri, that was the first one that we went in. This was the worst, the worst, the worst. I went to meet a Holocaust survivor, he's 92 years old, after the massacre, and I showed him pictures. He started crying like a child, and he told me, Yossi, what you saw, we didn't see in the Holocaust. What they did to the bodies while they were alive, while they were dead, our volunteers, when I came in and, and they all walked out and they told me, Yossi, we can't, we can't do it. To give them the courage a little bit and the strength to do it, I had to sit them down in the puddle of blood that was in the house while the entire family is killed, brutally attacked, tortured. And you see that and starting to sing a song in the middle of the blood, just asking for hope, some future songs. And then taking the hands of those victims and promising, making a promise that we will not leave this place without making sure that everyone gets to burial, everyone gets the full respect. Tell me what, what songs you sang when you sat them down. First song was Anima Amin, the Emuna Shalema, the Viat Mashiach. The second song was Vihisha Amda Lavatenu, Belanu. And everybody knows the song. And this gave them some courage, a little bit light in the eyes that we're going to do it. And unfortunately, we're traumatized. Yes, we are. The last Shabbos, when I was in Deal, New Jersey, was my first time in the last six weeks. And my, and my, and my father of 10 children, a grandfather of 22. But the last Shabbos was my first time that I was able to look 
in a child in his eyes. When I came home the first time, the second time, the third time from the south, from the war zone, I couldn't look at my children. I'm not talking about it, even hug them, kiss them. No, because what we saw, those children, youngsters, when you come to your children, you see those, those victims in front of your face. What goes through your mind as you do this work? Or, or do you keep your mind blank? We keep our minds blank. We have to separate our, fee- our feels and, and, and thoughts. When you sit down together at night, in the evening when we finished, and we sit all together and we're talking what we saw, what we think, and we all come to the same conclusion that, and when I said, I said it to, to myself in the beginning, and I thought I will not talk about in in, in public because everybody is going to think that I, Something happened to me that I got crazy, but when I thought that, and I said that these bodies are talking to me and explaining to me exactly how they were tortured and how what happened to them, I thought it's only by me, but then every night that we're sitting down with our volunteers, and all of a sudden, everybody starts to talk and telling you the same thing, then I know it's, it's by all our volunteers, and that's what happens. There are people in the world who are saying that this is this is just part of the ongoing conflict, part of the Arab-Israeli conflict. How, how do you tell the world that this time is different? It's like ISIS. ISIS was condemned by the, the entire world. Everybody was fighting against the ISIS. You can't call them animals because animals wouldn't do the same thing. They're not a part of the Islam because the Islam never say to do that. And the opposite, the Islam would say, you're not allowed to kill children, women, and they just enjoyed to torturing, to rape and to kill. That was their enjoyment. So they're ISIS. You've seen so much over the past few weeks. What was the most impactful moment for you? When we came into the house and we saw father and mother, hands tied to the back, on the knees, and the opposite side of them, against them. They have two children, a girl and a boy, young, same position, hands tied to the back, and they were lying like face down. They were shot in the back, and we picked them up, and we saw how they were tortured, missing body pieces, and going through your mind thinking, if the if the parents saw how the how the children were tortured while they were alive for sure, and the children saw how the father and mother were tortured, and that's then another end. While they were torturing those this family, they were just were sitting by the table and eating a meal, the meal of this holiday of the Shabbat meal for those family. They were eating over there. There have been many conspiracy theories swirling around that there's no proof of the worst atrocities committed by Hamas, such as raping of women or beheading of babies. What is your response to that? Uh, First of all, there is proof, okay? And not all the proof we will show outside because we have to respect the families. We have to respect them. And this is the main mission. This is our 
nature. This is the Jewish nature. You just have to see their um, images their, from their cameras, what they did, and you can see there's a war crime. We picked up beheaded babies and beheaded children. We picked up a pile of 20 children and minors. They were hands tied to the back and burned alive. And two piles, they were lying in two piles, 10 and 10. They even shot their own people. There was a van with, I don't know if they were Palestinians or Bedouins or there were Arabs that just went out to work that morning Seven in the van, I approached them. They were all killed and murdered for nothing. We're not here to convince anyone. Whoever wants to deny it, that was a, a war crime because he didn't see the beheaded babies or rape or something. So you will never be able to convince him. It's a waste of your time. And we're not looking over here to convince, but we are looking... Mm -hmm. To, to finish the job and to end the Hamas, there shouldn't be any Hamas member alive. What kind of training do your volunteers receive to be able to do all of this work? Oh, first of all, is to learn all the halacha. We have to do that. We have to know exactly what we're doing, what you're able to take, what you're not able to take. And then we have to see, we watch them on, on, on scene to see how they react, how they react at home and if they're capable to do it. The main thing is the respect, to show respect. You can't be emotional because when you're emotional, then you can't work. So we have to, this is the, this is basically the practice that we do. We gave the opportunity for the new members, for the new volunteers to work, but not more than one day or something like that. Most of the time, it was the volunteers that are over 10 years. And this was out of, I would say, about 480 volunteers that were working for a month nonstop. Who are the volunteers? Are they all Jewish? Are they all men? No, no. most of them are men. I would say 95% are men. And no, we have all kinds of volunteers. We had Muslims, we had uh, Christians, we still have. We have uh, a lot of uh, Bedouins, Arabs. So we have everything. We had a lot of volunteers that came in from Mexico to help us. We had volunteers from uh, South Africa that came to help us from the United States. And people are still calling in if we need any help. They're willing to come and help. So right now, as of now, we don't need the help from outside. We're using our our people only. What's your story, Yossi? Uh, you have no accent, uh, so I assume you made Aliyah from the United States. What What's your story? I married. My wife is an Israeli. 35 years ago, I married, and I went to live in Israel. That was my dream. My entire family, they're all volunteering on all other I saw that when I was raised up, I was born, that my father was in the volunteer. He was volunteering. He was of one of the first members of Atzola in New York, talking about 50 years ago. And uh, I married off. I, I was a Atzola member too. And when I came to Israel, I joined Magen David Adam. 
Yeah, I don't know. I like to help. It's a, it's a nature. I feel father. And it's not only me. It's my entire family. I see that. And I have a business, freight forwarding business. It's international freight forwarding. I live in Ashdod. I have offices, a couple of offices in Israel. And since 33 years ago, I joined, I joined Zaka, was one of the founders. And since then, I'm active. That's my story. I know that you found yourself at Ground Zero during 9-11. Uh, how did that happen? I was in New York. Um, we had a wedding and my family went back one day only. I stayed over here for business. And that morning, I was in Shul and Borough Park. And I received a call, first of all, from Zaka in Israel. They're telling me, Yossi, something happened. There was a crash in the World Trade Center. And we were sitting together, a couple of Atzala members. Nobody heard anything. Told them, listen, we don't know anything about it. And then a minute afterwards, the radios came out that any available members should head to Manhattan to the World Trade Center because a plane crashed in. We didn't know it's a terror attack. Uh, it's my uncle, my brother, my cousin. We were all volunteers. We went out to the car. While we were driving, we saw the second plane just crashing in the tower. And we knew already it's a terror attack. And we helped. And when the tower two went down, we were right over there. So we were trapped and thank God that we managed to go out and nobody of us were hurt. And then was my promise, wherever I could be a part of volunteering, I'll be there. I have three kids. They're all volunteering, also in Zaka and also in other organizations. This is what we pass it, pass it up to our children, grandchildren. And that's what it has to be with every, every other Jew has to know that he, the only thing that's going to keep us will be deeds, good deeds, chesed, to give from yourself to another person. So help the listeners to be able to give. How can they find out more about your work and support your efforts? They can log into our website. It's zaka, Z-A-K-A dot O-R-G dot I-L. I could put it in the show notes. Okay, so I'll send it to you. And 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 that will help us. We're going to collect now. We want to do 12 Sefer Torah because we have six a kibbutzim that were hit. We want to make sure that every kibbutz has two separate Torah, one Ashkenazi, one Sparadi. You were at the rally, the recent rally in Washington, D.C., and you stood before nearly 300,000 supporters of Israel. After what you had been through during the past few weeks, how did that feel? I, I was on stage and was looking at this, the crowd, 300,000 people coming to be with Israel and coming to be with our Jewish brothers and sisters. You see this, this united. You see everybody from every religion for everything. It gave you another punch to do your work for another 20 years. The people listening to this show are, are mostly Americans. They're concerned about what has happened in Israel and they're, they're fearful of the loss of life, uh, the loss of life that, that has happened not just to Israelis, but to, to Palestinians and, and what's still to come. 
as Israel continues to rout out Hamas from the Gaza Strip, as a person who holds life to be so sacred that you have sacrificed so much just to ensure this last act of life, this this chesed shelemet, uh, as we say, is carried out. What would you say to the listeners who are concerned about Israel going to war uh, against Hamas? The world never asked when the entire world went after ISIS and killed them. Nobody asked why, even though we knew, everybody knew there might be innocents that are going to be get killed when you, you're throwing a bomb. And especially when those Hamas um, militants are holding their own people as shields and you have no choice. Unfortunately, yes, there will be some casualties, but that's the cost of the war. Yossi, your work and the work of Zaka is truly a Kiddush Hashem, an extraordinary act in the name of God. You're a real hero and inspiration. Thank you so much for all you do. And thank you for being on this very special edition of From the Front Lines. Thank you very much. And I just want to say to everybody, we have to be united. And Am Yisrael Chai. And thank you to you, the listeners who tuned into this From the Frontlines podcast. If you are moved by what you have heard, please share this podcast. These stories must be heard. If you are not already a subscriber, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on Spotify to ensure that you do not miss a show. Just search for From the Frontlines. And please engage in these important conversations throughout the week by following me on X, Threads, and Instagram. My X handle is at Scott A. Richmond. My Instagram and Threads handle is at Scott underscore ADL. And our hashtag is fighting hate for good. <laughs>